Hello and welcome to Shifting Gears. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Isaac. And welcome to the third podcast of Shifting Gears. Episode number three. We are now world famous thanks to our two listeners in Spain, so that's pretty neat. So whoever you are, thank you. Yeah, you made us world famous. You made us international. Yeah. Tonight we are going to be talking about a lot of different topics and we're probably going to go long, but... Um, so if you got something important to do, it can wait. It can wait. It can always wait. It can always wait. So unless it's cars, then it probably can't. No, but we're cars, so we can't. So, um, tonight we're going to talk about the Haynes manual. Uh, Isaac went to Chicago last week and went to the auto show. Do some highlights from that. And low lights. And low lights. And then we're going to talk about new model year car reliability. Yes, and this specifically came from a question that a listener sent to us, and we'll touch on it later, but we decided that, yeah, the basic question is, you know, should I buy a vehicle from the first model year, or should I wait, Um, specifically the Jeep Gladiator? So we're going to spend some time talking about that. We're also going to just talk about the Jeep Gladiator a little bit also, because we had a listener question just asking for more information on the Gladiator, so we're going to talk to that, do some random car facts. We're going to look at some cool tools, or tool time, if we can call it that, and not get sued. And we should probably look that up. We should probably look that up before we get sued. We'll do some not qu- tool time. <laughs> That's our <laughs> not but is tool time. Yeah. It's definitely not tool time. We're not Tim the Toolman Taylor, even though that was in Detroit, so that's kind of cool. That is cool. You like, know he's from Kalamazoo. Yeah. He's got also a sweet car collection he does we should try to get him on the show i doubt he wants to but that would be sweet and we're also gonna do the you know our favorite craigslist showdown this week is in colorado springs yes colorado springs colorado that's where we're doing the craigslist from because that's where one of our listener questions was from so and yes that was gonna be an interesting one so let's jump into our topics to the night and uh, the first one we're going to talk about is the Haynes Manual and the loss of salute to John Haynes. John Haynes was the founder and originator of the Haynes Manual, the manual we all know and love to fix all our broken crap. He died just short of 80 years old this week. So a little bit of background on him and the Haynes Manual. He uh, started working on cars while he was in boarding school in the United Kingdom. He worked on an Austin, I think, is what the I read. And then uh, after that... He, start, he joined the United Kingdom's uh, Royal Air Force, and while he was there on his free time, he would work on and race cars. And uh, after Do you know he, what he would race? Um, I think he raced a Austin Healy Frog Eye Spirit. Sprite? Sprite, that one too. <laughs> you know? Is there a spirit or a sprite, isn't it? Uh huh. I think it's sprite. So sorry about that, folks. Um, moving on from that, he uh, was frustrated with the service manual that came with the car and other cars he had worked on. So he bought a camera and started documenting everything he was working on and turned it into his own service manual. And it just branched off from there into the service manuals we know and love today that we all fix our cars with. So. I mean, it's I think this is a pretty big loss to the car community. So, we'll just I have a couple of his. I have, I think I have five. I have two Fieros. One isn't enough. I have three Fiero manuals: a Chilton and two Haynes. Haynes is superior to Chilton's. Um, I have a Ranger one. I think that's a Chilton, and there's a Saturn one right behind you. I'm not sure which one that is. A black covers Chilton. Chilton. Chilton, yeah. So, 
They're good stuff. It is quite sad. So I'm sure they'll they'll keep continue to make magazine or man, okay. but, uh, manuals. Manuals, but yeah. So should we move on to the Chicago? other great loss of this week? Other great loss. <laughs> Much less of a loss to the world than this, but it's still a great loss. <laughs> I know what Paul's gonna say. The ricer body cladding fell off the side of my car today, and I don't know where it went. The rally rolla lost part of its, what do you call it, skirting? Yeah, it lost the skirt underneath the driver door that goes on the rocker panel, or passenger doors. Yeah. And So now it just looks like a normal so Corolla It looks like LE. a normal Corolla, plus all the plastic clips hanging out. So that's depressing. So if you have one of those and you want to send it this way, preferably black. It's probably somewhere between here and... Uh... Muskegon. I think it's on one of the speed bumps in the uh, Grand Valley State University parking garage. Well, you should go look. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, moving on from losses of the week to Ch- Isaac's trip to Chicago. Yeah, so this past weekend I had the opportunity to go to the Chicago Auto Show. Um, it's my first time going. And I've been to Detroit. NAIAS, excuse me, the Detroit show four years in a row. So that's really my only experience with the big auto shows. I was quite impressed with Chicago. I kind of liked it better than Detroit. Um, And mainly because... Blasphemy. (laughs) It might be blasphemy. But the show, reasons I liked it were, you know, they say it's the world's... Or, I'm sorry, the country's largest auto show. And I believe that's by square footage and number of cars on display definitely felt that way um you know there's quite a few test tracks land rover jeep um blinking on the other ones ram rams um, land rover jeep ram did did you leave that book at the restaurant i think i did i'm sorry (laughs) isaac we went out to eat before this and isaac brought the chicago auto Auto show guide guide, and i was reading it at dinner and i'm pretty sure it's sitting on the table it's okay it was free um, I was just gonna look in read the, it. <laughs> I was just gonna look in the cover and see what uh, the other chess tracks were, but that was really cool to see. Um, and Kia was there, right? Did you say that already? Kia, yeah, Kia's Telluride. Yeah, the Telluride, which we did in Detroit, yep. is exactly the same setup. Was there? Um, and there was just a different variety of cars. Um, Ford had their full commercial line there, which was cool to see because you don't. I mean, we all know that Ford does commercial vehicles, but you don't get to see exactly all the different vehicles that they put on the roads um, in one setting. And it was, I really enjoyed that. Um, You know, they had their full gamut of vehicles. So that I found that really quite impressive and actually spent a fair amount of time looking at those. And yeah, it just, the, the cars on display, there was more cars. So it was easier to get, well, I shouldn't say it was not easier to get in cars than Detroit. Um, there's just more cars so more cars to look at yeah more cars to look at but there was a lot of people there more people than i comfortably like this was during the public part of the show yeah on the the last saturday so you know that had a big effect um we had to wait in line to sit in vehicles our time was often cut short crowds were just very large um there's always you know the around the show displays there was um just a large amount of people so that was kind of a turnoff. Um, it was also very warm inside the center. And after about two hours, we were like, we had to get out. We were we were both sweating. 
I think NAIS was pretty warm inside there too. I think when you yeah. put all those people in that kind of room, and all those show lights, hot, yeah, it gets the, pretty warm. There's a lot of lights in those places. Yeah, but I really enjoyed the show. For me, oh, and another highlight was you could do test drive vehicles. So Subaru, Volkswagen, and Mazda had test drive events, which was really cool to see. Um, and I actually test drove a Miata RF, which was honestly it was disappointing. Yes. It was disappointing because so glad. it was an automatic, which, true story, I get in the car and I turn to the guy and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know how to start this. And he looked at me like I was dumb. And I'm like, I'm used to driving manuals. And he's like, oh, put your foot on the brake and push the button. And You don't know how to start a push-button car? Well, I was trying to find the clutch. I was confused at first because the shifter looks like... Isaac's um, permanently confused. Because of the shifter, I only drive manuals. I drive an automatic like twice a year. And... It's for a month. And Well, that's for later. Um, I have a new vehicle coming into my fleet soon. And it's not manual, sadly. Um, but I am excited for it. I lost my train of thought. Oh, the Miata. So RF, um, which was... That was cool. It was white pretty sharp with blacked out wheels um automatic was sad and the other thing was the test loop that was set up was under the mccormick center so we were at speeds of under 20 miles an hour and there was like a 75 yard stretch where we could gun it and so i did you know i did put my foot to the floor it is the car is quite quick i was very surprised by that and we were I was I asked and was able to put the top back. That was pretty cool. Um, all in all, you know, from the five minutes I spent driving the car, uh, I'm not a very big guy. I'm like five foot ten, 150 pounds, and it the car is definitely tight in space. Um, but that was fine by me. I'm used to smaller cars. Um, you know, I have a Fiero and. I'm used to that size vehicle. I would say the Fiero is more comfortable to drive. It just has more, you know, shoulder room and be a better long distance car. But the Miata was definitely fun to drive, and I would love to get some more seat time in it. Um, for me, hits were uh, the whole Volvo booth, surprisingly. Um, there's just something about Volvo right now that they're doing that is cool. Um there's quite a few people at the booth, and we looked specifically at the S60, the V60, and the XC40. Um, they had an, the XC40 really stood and stood out to me because it was white. It had black interior with orange carpet, which was really cool. It was funky, but it was just different, and I like that. It has just this cool vibe. Um, Space inside was good. I found the back seat to be roomy enough uh, with two. There were two people sitting up front. The back cargo area, while it's a little bit smaller, you know, be perfect for one or two people. So I, I really enjoyed that car. Um, then I sat in the V60, and my goodness, that thing, absolutely loved it. Um, it was silver, and it had the plaid gray and red stitched seats inside, which plaid should totally come back. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed that car. I like the size of it. The styling's sharp. It's got good space in, in the back of the hatch. The back seat was roomy. Um, enjoyed that car. And then the S60, I think, is a really attractive sedan. Um, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of a Dodge Charger from, like, the back, not the back end, but 
the B pillar back from a side profile. It's got kind of that Coke bottle shape to it. And it looks sporty. The real question is though, will the Volvo or the Dodge have more electrical issues? <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> <laughs> I say that out of love for Volvo because I love Volvos. But I don't know. I got to play around a little bit with their census um, interface. Is that kind of like Ford Sync? Or Sync, the yeah, you connect. Yeah, that's what Volvo okay. brands are. Census. Census. It's going to count you. Literally everything. It's like Tesla. All the controls are operated through the screen. There's very few buttons. I do not like that. So you're a Mazda guy, though, where you operate from behind your back through a knob. We're going to talk about that some night, and I think that's totally a better system. But with Census, you know, I was just sitting in the car, and I'm like, oh, I want to do heated seats. So I hit climate, and then I hit another button before I found the heated seat button. And then I had to tap on it three times before the seat warmers came on. Very annoying, and I think Volvo lacked there. And I'm not the only person that feels this way. Other people have these same complaints. I'm going to add a hit to the Chicago Auto Show, even though I wasn't there. I've so, done my hits. I know, but I, we just got a comment on our post that I should thought I should add. And our, our, our hit should be meeting the guys from, or Isaac met the guys from the Check Engine podcast. And they were disappointed they weren't on our hits from Chicago Auto Show list. So... <laughs> There you go. That that was cool. I was gonna get to that. I didn't get to meet you guys, but I really enjoy your podcast. Yeah, same here. So check out the Check Engine podcast, guys. They do a good job over there. Yeah, it was that was quite a surprise, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. So it's good meeting you too. So there, now you got a better shout out. <laughs> but um, some other hits. Uh, Camp Jeep. While I didn't do that, looked awesome. Um, and very was very impressed by it. Totally wanted to do it until we found out the line was over two hours in wait. Um, definitely going to try to do that uh, sometime in the next years. Um, Paul's going to hate me for this. But I already hate you, so it's not going to change. <laughs> my top two favorite cars from the show. I'm waiting for Paul to like wield a knife at me before they <laughs> say these words. Uh, the Mazda Miata 30th Anniversary Edition. Um, only because I'm a Miata fanboy and cut that part out. <laughs> I'm a Miata That's fan. That's not coming out. <laughs> that is staying in. You said it. That's staying in. Miata fanboy. Uh, please cut that out. I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> okay. I'm poor. I'll take money. <laughs> I'm a Miata fan and boy, <laughs> I'm a Miata fan, Paul. And uh, Miata fan that's never driven one. I have driven one, thank you. In a parking garage. That still counts as driving. But the orange paint, thought it was really sharp on the car. Really, um, really liked uh, the looks of the 30th anniversary edition. Plus, seeing all the um, all the generations at the show was cool. To, cool to see. Um, the other thing was the new Mazda 3. I got to see both the hatch and the sedan and sit in them. Wow, I was impressed. Um, so I have a 2016 Mazda 6. and That he really wishes was a 2016 Mazda 3 hatch. Uh, maybe. Uh, but both are great cars. Sorry, Mr. Dion. But the Mazda, like, I just walked up to it, and wow. they um, The Koto design language just has so much, much deeper presence than previous generations. I think the paint helps with that, too. They, I mean, Mazda's paint 
it looks you know looks quite amazing. I'll give it the paint looks great, but I still don't understand the obsession with the compact commuter car. But I mean, I can give I like that significantly better than the Miata. It, and the sedan and the hatch have different looks to them, um, just a little bit. And the hatch is more sporty, and the sedan is more upscale. And you could definitely tell that. Um, you know, exterior-wise, really like the looks. A lot of people are torn on the new hatchback with the really sloped rear end. Um, I kind of like it. It's different. Um, the visibility was absolutely horrible in it. but Like Camaro horrible or... Borderline like Camaro SUV, horrible. SUV, big blind spot, horrible. Like in between SUV and Camaro. Well, that's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's pretty because Camaros is like driving through your cell phone screen. Yeah, looking out of the back window is like looking through a mail slot in a front door. Um, but the interior in the new Mazda three, absolutely, um, was just breathtaking. Uh, the quality is very good. The, I really like the choice of materials. Uh, the design I thought was quite impressive. I like the new screen mounted up high on the dashboard. Um, you hated it in the Explorer. It was different. The, the Ma, in the Mazda, it's quite low profile, and it kind of blends in with the dashboard. The Explorer literally looks like they took a 15-inch long tablet and just glued it to the dashboard. See, I think it looks rather integrated, but... So, um, those are my hits. Misses the new legacy. Honestly, I walked past it looking Who for makes the legacy Subaru legacy. Right. Sorry. Was in the Subaru booth looking for the new legacy, walked past it going, Oh, this is the new there. That's the old legacy. And then I was like, wait a second. And I turn around, there's a sign that's a new legacy. Totally can't tell that it's a new one. Um, looks too similar. I was very disappointed by that. I'm very glad. Two of these are on your list of misses. Uh, I'm throwing this on here just for Paul's sake. So Nissan Frontier. Yes. Not a new vehicle. I mean, you can buy a new one. I've always liked the Frontier. And I've always thought it was dumb. And I sat in one. Wow, it felt like I was sitting in 2007. That's what I've been telling you. They haven't updated <laughs> anything. And they, you like, I don't and the price was $38,000 for a 2007 truck. <laughs> Exactly. You're like, I don't get why anyone doesn't buy them. I'm like, because they're from 2007. Hey, you can get a long box crew cab automatic. Long boxes are terrible V6, too. V6, brand new Frontier out the door, four wheel drive for just over $30,000. That's a pretty good value. Compared to the Ranger, it's a good value. Am I saying it's a better truck? No, but it's a good value. We're leaving it there, Paul, because he and I will go on a 20 minute tangent about the Frontier. Um, the Corolla hatchback. Ugly. The Corolla hatchback. So I have really liked this car since it came out. I like the styling. The fact you can get it with a six-speed manual was quite cool. I just like hatchbacks. Um, was very excited to finally sit in one. I with, thought the new Corolla hatch looked pretty sweet, and I'm very disappointed now. And was finally able to sit in one because we couldn't at Detroit. And I found it the room to be quite lacking. Um I'm like I said, I'm not a very tall person, but I, I couldn't stretch out my legs in the front seat without putting the seat all the way back. And when I did that, there was no leg room behind me. Welcome to my world of everything I've ever driven. And the other thing was there was no cargo room. I opened up the back hatch and with the seats up, you know, you could put um, two carry on suitcases and that would fill up the back. So yes, 
see, I can't. I don't really complain about cargo room, but I usually drive things with all kinds of cargo room. But you're the one who wants all this cargo space, but then also really wants a Miata. <laughs> That's why you have mo- multiple cars. I'm not going to own just a Miata. I'm I mean, pretty sure if you could own a Miata, you would own just a Miata. And maybe my Saturn. Two cars with no space. Hey, you can't say that about the Saturn. It does my not have sis- very much space in it. Uh, the third door makes that car like a, a mini little truck. You can fit... A mini little plastic truck. You can fit so much stuff inside the Saturn because of the third door. You would be surprised what you can fit in there. Moving on from the cars that are going away. Um, And then finally, the last miss was the new Ram tailgate, which... If you recall, last episode we talked about it, and I was quite excited about it. What did you not like? You haven't told me about this yet. Yeah, I haven't told you about this. So I wasn't able to actually use it myself because they had it roped off in its own display. And then they had a guy who was demonstrating it to the public. The public couldn't break it. Maybe. Um, And just watching him, it, you know, you had said this last week, you know, I don't get what the point of having the doors open up to the side and yeah honestly i kind of felt that way about it too like the ridge line it makes sense the ram it it has a trunk yeah Yeah. the only thing with the ram i would say is when you open the doors up to the side a step does come down so that's nicer but if you've got a long item and the tailgate flipped down the steps becomes pointless i'm not convinced that it's really going to solve any problem i guess that's a solution to a question no one was asking so that's my take on it. I would be, I would like it more if you could the, so it's a 60, 40 split and the left side is the 60 is the wider part. I would like it more. And I don't think you can do this. If you could leave the 60 part up or shut and then the 40 part open. So you could haul like long lumber. But see, I think it would work better though. If it didn't open to the sides and it split 60, 40 and folded down because then the lumber would have a two-foot longer area to be supported by. That's the GMC tailgate. But that's not all the way level, and it's not good either. Yeah. I, th- I said I would like it better, not that I would like it. Yeah. Anyways, I was kind of disappointed by that and not sold on it. So well, should we shift some gears? We should shift gears <laughs> into new car reliability. And by new car reliability, I think we're mainly talking about new release reliability. Words are hard, guys. So, like... Um, well, we should say the question first. So, yeah. Um, you want to do it or do you want me to do it? I can do that. Okay. So, so we got an email from Donovan asking uh, about the Jeep Gladiator. And it reads, I have a question on the Jeep Gladiator with the 2020 model coming out this spring. Would you recommend waiting for a model year a few years down the road from to allow FCA to work out the bugs that could come to light. <clears throat> the question raises another, how often do OEMs w- we tweak the engineering details of new models, Jeep in particular? So this is a very good question. Um, one that a lot of people ask. And if you go searching out on the internet, you will get um, people on both sides of the, the equation saying, wait and the other people say no don't wait um i think the jeep gladiator though is different than some other models yes it is different because it's based on a current model which is based on the new wrangler which which, is still new which has been out for 
two years. Well, when the Wrangler comes, when the Gladiator comes out, excuse me, the Wrangler will have been out for two model years. So that's it's slightly different than asking about like the brand new whatever because they're not based on a new chassis. Yeah, so, so like when Ford in two thousand four went from the bubble body F one fifty to the slightly more modern styling F one fifty with the two valve and the three valve five four, that was a much larger shift than FCA releasing the Gladiator, which is really a different rear end on a Jeep JL. Yeah, so you when you're talking about new reliability in a vehicle, you have to look at a couple things. The first is, um, is it based on any other platform or vehicle currently out for sale? And is that platform it's based on good or not? Yeah, and how long has that platform been out? Um, and then look at the technology that that vehicle's offering and look at, you know, ask the same question, is any of this technology brand new or have we seen it in other vehicles? Um, in the Gladiator's sake, like we said, it's based on the Wrangler. Um, so the Wranglers will have been out for two model years. And, you know, the the gist of the Gladiator is, I'd say, you know, 60, 75% of the, of the truck is the same as the Wrangler. And so, therefore, any issues they had in the first model years, they should have worked out. Major issues, I should say. Yeah, major have, recall issues. Yeah, like the, theoretically the should frame, have out. you know, one of the big recalls on the Wrangler was they had problems with the frames cracking. Which um, is not a great thing no, to have happen. No, that's not a great thing to happen. <laughs> Especially if you hit a semi-truck or get hit by a semi-truck. Yeah. And for me, so um, I like data and I like reliability. Um, and I, I think use... everyone likes their car to be reliable, Isaac. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd agree with that. I was going to make some comment about... The Fiero, I just have accepted that it's not reliable and I still choose to drive it. That's because you have Stockholm. <laughs> That's not true. That's uh, very true. Moving on. But there's a website called True Delta. Um, and I have been a member of True Delta for four or five years. And what the website is, is it's reliability data from actual owners. So if you look at websites like Consumer Reports um, or JD Power and Associates, they do reliability postings and they they get that data by doing surveys out to customers true delta they're different in the fact that actual owners post what has gone wrong with their vehicles now now i will comment on this just a little bit um people generally don't post on things that are either no, are pretty normal they either post because it's a total piece of garbage or because it's freaking fantastic yeah so it's like when you read reviews on Amazon, no one posts the their thing because they open the box. It was what they expected and it worked. Yeah, they post a review if something major has gone wrong. So you, you always have to take that with a grain of salt. But True Delta is nice because as if you are a member with them, every three months they send you an email and ask you to just update on your vehicle. And, you know, have you had any repairs? If so, what were they? What was the cost? So I've been doing that for the past, I think it's five years. Um, do you do it for all your vehicles or what once? So I've done it for my parents' vehicles and mine. Um, so my mom is this Mazda CX-5, my Mazda 6. I had a Dodge Dart. Um, before my mom's CX-5, she had a Ford Taurus X. Um, so those four vehicles, um, I've personally posted information on their website. And um, I, yeah, I like it from that standpoint. Um, and they do break down by year, you know, issues you can expect. 
you know, is it going to be drivetrain or electrical and then cost? Um, so if you ever have any questions or, you know, you're researching a vehicle, that's a great um, tool to use for reliability data. You know, specifically with, I guess DJ has posting, is asking two questions, you know, should I wait to buy a Jeep Gladiator and then how often do OEMs tweak the engineering details? And we'll cover that um, towards the end of this. But, you know, with the Gladiator, I think... You know, I think it would be safe to say you could go out and buy a new model yep. um, in the first year, and it sh- you should not have any major issues. The, the 3.6 Pentastar that's in it has been around for a while. Uh, I think all the bugs that FCA is going to work out of it have been worked out to this point. Um, the 8-speed transmission behind it has been out for a few years. Yeah, the ZF, it's a good transmission. That's a really good transmission. That's one of my favorite higher-speed transmissions, so like in the 8, 9, 10-speed um, I have experience with that one on and off-road, and it has worked fantastically in both of them. And off-road, we had oversized tires on it, and it, we didn't recalibrate anything, and it didn't seem to care. So uh, going in a Jeep, that's pretty important because not, I don't most people who are going to off-road their Jeep don't leave stuff stock. Yeah. Um, you know, it's got a Dana 44 in the front, and I think it's a 44 still in the back, which are been around for millennia pretty much and that's not going to change um so the transfer case i'm pretty sure is very similar if not the identical one out of a jku so um i really don't see an issue with the gladiator buying it right off the bat yeah i do know that the gladiator has higher tow um capacity than the wrangler and i know the cooling systems are different per the two vehicles which is um, good because the wrangler cooling system has had lots of issues yeah um but the towing capacity um i believe is different because it has the bigger axle in the front which then it also has different gearing than the factory than the standard jk or jl sorry um so i think that upgrades and it also has bigger brakes i believe so that's where your bigger towing capacity is coming from and it's a truck not a jeep um so but that's i i would have even not being a huge fca fan personally i really like the gladiator and i would have no issues going and buying one if i could afford it yeah the only thing i would be cautious about is um i was doing some researching and um the mild hybrid systems that they've deployed in them i'd be a little um leery of those um i guess fca has had uh Quite a, they've had some issues with the hybrid systems in the new Pacificas. I'm thinking that some of those components are shared between the two vehicles. Um, so just look look out for that. Um, anything else with the Gladiator? Um, the only well, are we going to talk? Are we just going to talk about the reliability stuff on it right now? Or are we just going to go in and talk about it a little more to answer our other viewer question on the Gladiator? Well, why don't we do the other viewer question on the Gladiator, and then we'll finish up with more reliability. All right, um, so the other viewer question on the Gladiator was from Dwight, and uh, he asked um, if, uh, uh, he just asked for a more robust evaluation on the Gladiator and the open-air top, and um, I'll talk to the open-air top interior of the Gladiator a little bit, and um, I don't have any problem with the open-air top. You can get those to seal real well, all that's hard and soft tops, you can if they're a high quality, if you buy like a high quality soft top, you can get those to seal just as well, if not even better than a hard top. Um, 
So I don't foresee any issues with that. The only thing I did not like about the Gladiator was the roll bar. Now, why didn't you like about the roll bar? Well, now lots of people do. I'll preface this with lots of people change out the roll bars in their Jeep or beef them up. But as a six foot four person with a taller torso than legs in the back seat, my head stuck above the roll bar. Really? Which, if you go dunin or four wheeling with the top off, that's going to be a problem. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, and also in the back seat with the top off, I felt like I could. If I leaned back far enough, I could hang my head out past the roll bar backwards also. So if you go rolling over and stuff's coming all around, I don't feel like that roll bar is encapsulating enough to keep you safe. Hmm. I didn't even notice that when I sat in it. So, no, my head was... Cause, which is dumb. Sorry. People say we say dumb too much. So I don't. I think it was a poor design also because there was literally four inches between the roll bar and the roof. So they could have brought that roll bar up way farther. Yeah. So, and there was probably two inches between the roll bar and the back of the cab where they could have brought it back farther also. So protect you. I, no, Jeep roll bars are not known to protect anyone in anything. Really? Yeah, they're pretty terrible. I've seen people roll their Jeeps at Silver Lake before with the stock JK roll bar, and they look mangled and flattened. Hmm. They're not, they're not a, in one 1.75 inch eighth inch wall dom tubing roll bar that you'd put in a real race truck or off-road vehicle so lots of people do end up changing those out no i, I was not a fan of that if i bought a gladiator i would that would be the first thing to go would be the roll bar so one thing i didn't notice at the show the the gladiators with the soft top they had them removed completely and i'm curious what the storing of the soft top looks like if it go it has to go on the bed so how i've i thought i i've seen one folded down and they they pivot at the back of the driver door or at the back of the passenger door okay and they basically just lay over the bed kind of so the bed's open but if you were to flip down the tailgate it's kind of like a bar across the top with like six inches of roll of Wait, soft the, top. The top goes over the entire bed. Yeah, it goes back. Like it flips back. Oh, that's kind of dumb. We can't say that, Isaac. <laughs> that's um, disappointing. <laughs> so that's how I know. I'm not saying there's not going to be other options, but that's how the one that was rolled down I saw. So, um, but yeah. Or they'll, or I've seen one that has the hard back window in it, and it rolls up and just sits on the back. Yeah. So I'm see if I can find an image online. But soft top removal is not that big of a deal. There's so, there's one image with the top. It's kind of cantilevered over the bed a little bit. Huh. Interesting. Well, I'm sure best top or rampage. Uh, will come out with a far superior design of a soft top because that's literally all they do. So I wouldn't I wouldn't base your buying on the current available uh, availability of a soft top because I'm sure there will be better options out there in the near future. So moving on from moving on from that is there anything else oh, you want to talk about? Oh, we should clarify something. So last episode we mentioned we were talking about diesel engines in non-heavy duty trucks. Oh yes, we did. And we said that the Gladiator. We people. 
yeah, we made a mistake. The Gladiator does not have a diesel. The Gladiator will, is not launching with the diesel, but it, it will be available later. With the three-liter three, eco-diesel. With the three-liter eco-diesel. So, so, which um, I, and I'll wait on the waiting thing. I might wait for that because I've had pretty, my experience with it, I really like that engine. And I think it would go pretty well in this truck. So yeah, it'd be a good maybe, engine. Maybe uh, you want to wait a little bit and get that three-liter because that would be, I think that'd be pretty fun, and your fuel mileage would just go up significantly. What I want is a Gladiator in sport trim with the manual and the Pentastar. What I want is a Gladiator in Rubicon trim, sport trim with a Hellcat. Manual windows, man, those are the way to go. Manual windows suck. I love manual windows. What I happens when your friend pulls up on the other side and you're looking like a moron trying to lean over and roll up your roll down your you window? You unlock the door and tell him to jump in. I've lived with manual windows in every vehicle I've ever had until my Corolla. and I, I had manual windows, too. And I do not miss manual windows. They're okay. They're, you just said they're okay. I they're would, awesome. I meant to say they're awesome. I would much rather hit a button and just have it go down. till the power motor fails on you. Yep, and then you go to a junkyard and get one for 25 bucks. Tear I've, the door apart. The, I've, what happens when you take your vehicle and you get in an accident and go off the road and end up in a lake and then your power window stops working and you drown the yourself. only vehicle i've ever had a window not work on it was a crank window Is it the crank brake nope the uh internal Me- gears on the, uh, the mechanism mechanism stripped out huh that's something that usually doesn't break so but anyways i have should- broken cranks but i can't complain about that i hooked my backpack on it and tried to walk away so yeah. I can't change it out. <laughs> window cranks isn't is fairly easy. That's to, one screw. Or they've got usually those uh they're like C shaped clips. Oh mine mine have always just been the one screw in the center and they pop right off and they're splined. Oh really? Yep. Huh. So should buy more Fords, they're easier. I've only changed window cranks on Asuzus and Pontiacs. Yeah, I've only cr- changed them on Fords. Um, and Toyotas. So moving on. Uh, so the second half of the question was, how often do OEMs make changes to their vehicles? This is a really good question. Um, and I think a lot of people don't fully understand. Um, Paul and I can speak to this just from um, the industry, from our jobs, because um, we work right in the automotive industry. And something that to understand is when a vehicle goes into production, it's very hard to implement everything. Yeah, everything. But changes. Um, you know, if if you want to say change the plastic that goes into a molded component, um, a molded say a trim piece or um, a bezel, the process to change that resin type, you know, is go through the PFMEA, FMMEA. Yeah, is a huge process. So for people not familiar. Uh, a PFMEA failure. Oh my! What's the FMEA stand for? Failure mechanism. Failure mode. I don't know. I spent two summers interning on. I fixing should know it. this since I do this I'm for my job. Yeah, this is your failure problem. mode and effects analysis. So what this is, it's it's a um, it's a systematic way to evaluate a process to identify how it might fail and how those effects. The severity of the effects. So basically, it's from being the uh, severity of the effects rank from being annoying to throwing you off a cliff and well, killing you. Being annoying to death. Yes. You know, 
loss of um, life. And so FMEAs are used for the entire process to build a car. Um, and any component that goes into a car has its own FMEA. And it looks at what are the failure modes of this part and how is that going to affect the end result. Um, and so to make large changes to any component on a vehicle is very difficult. It has to get signed off by tons and tons, tons of people. Of, yes, um, many people. And the process is very long and extensive. So because of that, it takes a long time to implement changes. Now, if, for example, you had a component on a car that all of a sudden started failing, say for the Jeeps, um, that recall we mentioned with some of the frames cracking, that's going to have a very quick change. Um, the quality engineers are going to find a solution very fast because the severity, if we were to look on the FMEA, the severity is quite high. It's going to be much higher than... You know, your overhead light bulb burning out and yeah. you're not seeing your map without Correct. pulling your phone out. And because of that, they're a lot quicker to roll out um, a solution. Now, if there was, say, we look at an engine and you have a water pump and they engineers find out that, oh, this water pump we launched with the car is supposed, supposed to last 200,000 miles and at 120, we're getting a bunch of failures. They're not going to probably stop production of the vehicles well, and, and if it's after warranty they're just not going to care and they're yeah. going to the aftermarket fix it so but they might roll out a solution at the next model year they might upgrade the water pumps the next model year and now is that going to be announced no no it won't be announced um historically if you're going to buy a new vehicle the best time to buy a new car is when they do the mid-cycle refresh refresh of the vehicle any major bugs that they had when the vehicle launched, um, they will resolve and they'll get sorted out. Um, you know, I was just doing some looking um, for some data. And if we look at like the Honda CRV, you know, that's a pretty reliable vehicle. So the, what would it be? I think third, um, third generation was 2012 to 16. You know, in 2015, they had the mid-cycle refresh. So 2012 to 14, um, those vehicles, this is come, all this information is coming from True Delta. They were 60% less likely to have a repair. The 2015s and 16s were 45% less likely to have a repair. And this is based on the average amount of repairs per vehicle, which is 115 repairs per 100 vehicles. Which is terrible. That is, yeah, that is very terrible. But you have to look when they define a repair. If your infotainment screen seizes up and you have to take it in the dealer to get reflash, that's considered a repair. If you have a tire pressure monitor sensor go wrong, that's considered a repair. So well, they are things you still have to go to the dealership yes. and get fixed. Yep, that is so true. It I is, have no problem calling those a repair. So you know, with my point with the Honda CRV is mid-cycle refresh, we see a fifteen percent reduction in repairs on those vehicles. Um, and you can look at other cars um and that's not to say all cars are this way but a good majority of them um generally are more reliable in the later half of their life um and usually the last model year is when the vehicle is the most reliable now also talking from a manufacturing side of things you won't ever notice and you probably don't care about there are also little tweaks that go into parts that um you won't notice won't make it any more reliable but there are changes throughout the model years. Um, for example, um, I worked on a part one time where 
I was on the line for three years that made it. And um, we had, it was to make it easier and more effective to go through our manufacturing line, we got it signed off through Chrysler to shave a little bit of the webbing inside the mold where the held the parts, uh, where the a, a lip on the parts was. We got approval to weld in that webbing and make it smaller so it would slide through our machine better and stuff. And there's lots of little tweaks like that or changes in like additional webbing to little plastic clips and crap that uh, you won't ever notice, they won't ever talk about. Yeah. And that kind of stuff just changes over time with manufacturing processes. And yeah, You may have vendors, you know, when you launch a product, you may have a supplier that four years down the road gets bought out or no longer mm-hmm. carries that product. So then the manufacturer so, has to switch. And so you, yeah. To, to that end, that same part, um, about three quarters of the way through its life, um, the manufacturer of the plastic we were using when, went out of business and we had to switch plastic suppliers, which meant switching, uh, to a different kind of plastic going from, uh, if you're into plastics at all, we went from a clear resin with a color adder mixed in to a colored plastic. And, um, we also switched at that same time from running 50, 50, uh, brand new plastic and 50% regrind, to running straight plastic because we found a new supplier that could get us the straight plastic cheaper than mixing regrind in. So there's yeah. lots of little stuff like that that you don't it's, ever think yeah, it's about. it's constantly changed. And, you know, when, the, won't ma- ever when the suppliers make those changes and they turn around and sell those products to the OEMs, they have to notify them that you're saying, hey, we, we have to change um, our resin supplier because of these reasons. And when you do that, you have to prove to the OEM that the product is still the same or the quality or the function is better than what it was before. That's the only way they'll sign off on those changes. If you bring them to the thing and say, hey, here's this plastic I found, even if it's the identical plastic, and you bring it to, let's say, Toyota. I'm just giving this an example. And you say, I found this plastic from this supplier. It's the identical plastic. Cheaper. Um, Can I switch to this? They'll say, sure, but you have to give us kickback on that cheaper too, yeah. just for our three so- seconds of signing it off. But also if you say, Hey, I want to switch to this plastic cause it's going to make my, it'll keep the quality the same, but it'll make, you know, getting it for me cheaper, but it's a different kind of plastic. They're not going to sign off on it just to save you money because they, they don't care. Yeah. And there are some changes. Um, they can be pretty minor, um, that, you know, the supplier would want to implement and it may take years before the OEM signs off on them. And even if you want to say, I my mold machine blew up, I need to buy a new mold machine, the OEM has to come in and sign off on the new mold machine. Even if it's the identical part model number mold machine, the OEM has to come sign off on saying that the new part that's coming out of this new mold machine is the same. Yeah. So, And you have to send in parts for measurements. And usually you have to send in 100 parts and have them completely analyzed via laser measurements. And so this is why part cars cost so much stuff takes so long, everything else. Cause there's eight thousand, like everything we're talking about is just out of the overhead councils from our experience. Yeah. So and the amount of parts in a vehicle is astronomical, astronomical. Every nut bolt and washer has to go through the same thing. So yep. every, every component on the vehicle. So the, the modern automobile is the most complex item in manufacturing 
currently to date and that consumers purchase i i would say that i would pretty close i don't i can't think of anything off the top of my head you know an airplane or a rocket ship more more, complex but consumers don't purchase no they don't purchase if you say like your laptop well your car has like eight of those built into it yeah so doing more computing than your laptop yeah the the ecm of your car is doing thousands and thousands of calculations every single second yep so there's just that's part of the reason cars new cars have reliability issues once in a while and why stuff takes a while to change in new cars and everything else it's also much that and it if you look at a car today sold something 20 or 30 years ago i mean this extensive process for quality how it affects you know all aspects of the car that all adds up and ends up resulting in a more reliable car that will last longer than something from 30 years ago to a point so to a point yes the only thing i don't think lasts as long and this is just from personal experiences i think electrical gremlins do become a thing they do become a thing and we are learning how to fix those now but that is a new Oh, fixing a car now is very different than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. Less our, mechanical and more. Our mechanics are learning that and how to fix these electrical gremlins, and there's new ways to test for them and everything else. But we're still learning that. It's not the same thing that your grandpa worked on in 1976 where, oh, the car doesn't start. I'm going to put a new set of plugs in it. I'm going to clean the carburetor, and it's, it's going to be good. set. Yeah. I had a 93 Ford Ranger, and um, towards the end of me owning it, it was was running very poorly. We fought with that thing. We forever. fought with it for months, and I replaced everything on it: new spark plugs, new wires, new, wires, cap, new rotor. mass airflow sensor, um, new various different sensors. Put a new catalytic converter on it. Oxygen sensor. Oxygen sensor. Fuel filter. Air filter. It was just. It would not run right, and it was just guzzling gas like crazy. It was like basically rolling but coal. You could smell gasoline when it was running, like from the tailpipe. And eventually, um, you know, after months of fighting it, I said, "I can't. I don't know what's wrong with it." Took it down to a local mechanic, and in a few hours he called me back and said that uh, the ECM had failed, and that the car thought it was negative 40 outside and you know this was june and was just trying to dump fuel dump fuel into the engine to get it up to the right temperature so you know that computer failed i didn't know that i didn't have the tools we do have obd2 scanners yes but they're not the same kind of scanners you have at the dealership at the dealership yeah you know it was outside of my ability and you know with a couple hours of work the mechanic was able to to figure out the issue and five hundred dollars later i had a new computer and the truck ran great three hundred thousand miles and all three hundred thousand miles and all she was a peach she was a gem i miss her well i think we did a good job talking about that we we did i think i don't know let us know if we think <laughs> yeah. you, we did a good job if you'd like us to expand more please let us know um so we need to move on i to... do want to say one more thing i you found better hurry up quite funny so when I was researching reliability data, the new Tesla Model 3 has on reported on average 350 repairs per 100 vehicles. It's the so least three and reliable a half repairs per vehicle. Vehicle sold today. I find that quite funny. So, well, do you want to give us your random car fact this week, Isaac? Yes, random car fact. Um, did you know this, Paul? This um, random car fact. Let me look. Well, let me ask. I should probably say the car fact and then ask you if you knew this. All right. That would make more sense. That would make more sense. 
2006 was the last year of the Jeep Wrangler TJ. The handles used on the half doors originally debuted on what vehicle? Now, what do you mean by half door? Do you- so on the Wrangler, you could get a half door or a full door version. The half doors had the canvas windows. Yep. Um, and they were shorter. They yep. call them half doors. So and I thought the, I was just making sure the what full you were door had a, about. you know a glass window that you could roll up. So the vehicle that the handles originally debuted on was the 1968 AMC full model line. These handles are actually known as the AMC paddle handle, and they were in production from 1968 up to 2006. I did not know that. So Random car fact that now you know. So now I learned something and new. And you can interchange I... them between a Jeep and an AMC. The AMCs were chrome. The, G- the Jeeps uh, were plastic. So you can upgrade your Jeep with AMC parts. Yes, but I've heard the the Jeep ones don't break as much as the AMC. That's surprising, but moving on. Moving on. So <laughs> our tool time today, if we're not going to get sued for that, we'll switch with cool tools. Cool it, tools. Cool tools. I like that. We're going to go with cool <laughs> tools. Is something not tool time. A little bit different than normal. It uh, Normal as in the last two episodes. And I So preface this, we're debating about what tool to talk about. And I had my Leatherman out, and there's a bolt on it that was loose. And Paul goes, oh, I got just the tool. And he whips this thing out of his backpack. And I was like, that is the cool tool. So it is the 25-in-1 screwdriver set with no brand name off of Amazon. <laughs> no it, brand name. It doesn't have a brand name. It's just called <laughs> New Item. New Item. New Item. We'll Str- post the link in our show notes. Straight from China. <laughs> but... It is a mini precision screwdriver tool set for PC, glasses, mobile phones, laptop, watches, RCs, drones, and anything else. And they are chrome vanadium steel. And there's a whole bunch of tips that meet in one driver. And uh, it comes in this really cool little leather case. It's a trifold. It's about the same size as like a... A uh, wa- trifold wallet. Like a trifold wallet. Maybe a little bigger. Longer. A little bit longer, yeah. But... um. You open it up, and it has a little slot in it that holds the uh, um, screwdriver the, the screwdriver, handle, the driver handle, and then it has how many tips are there? Twenty twenty-five. Twenty-five. And it has everything from microscopically small torques <laughs> all the way up to a T. What is it? T fifteen. So a decent size. Yeah. And then it has a whole bunch of um, different like safety tips for like getting into safety screws or security screws flat heads it's got a pokey thing for stabbing things it's got a pry tip a square you know the whole nine yards and they're it's all cool they're all held in with these little like like there's like little steel inserts inside this leather case that when they're the part when the tips are laying down they sit perfectly they're locked they're in. locked in but you rotate them up to vertical, and they slide right out they the back. Slide right out. And then you put them in the driver hand, and they work great. So yeah. this is, I think I paid like four or five dollars. Definitely for this worth thing the money on Amazon, and I just keep it in my backpack, and it has come in handy more than once when you just know, oh, here's a little thing I need to tighten. Yeah. Definitely, I'm going to be buying one. Actually, I Tuesday night I was over at my grandparents' house, and um, they have a upholstery shop in their uh uh garage r e upholstery if you're ever looking for upholstery and um in west michigan in west michigan we don't ship (laughs) um do you deliver 
for for a large cost. A large cost. Um, but uh, um, they have a Fuego parts car. Will you consider that? Yeah, I will. Um, but uh, I was over there, and my grandma's having an issue with her Juki sewing machine. If you know anything about sewing machines, she has a a Juki, and uh, I was they, I she couldn't get this screw in this right spot, and I quick ran out to my car, grabbed my backpack, and fixed it right up, no problem. So. This thing, it just comes in handy a lot. It's really small. I just toss my backpack, and it's, it's slick. It's used it more than once. So that is the cool tool for the day. And now moving on to Craigslist Showdown. Craigslist Showdown. Isaac, like, Isaac's up first this time. I'm up first this time. So I so preface this. DJs from Colorado Springs, we decided to, do, to spice up our Craigslist Showdown. If you send us in a question, we will feature your city in um our craigslist showdown for finding the vehicle so i paul has two i have two i have three three oh boy but i'll, I'll pick one but i have to hear your first one to okay make sure it's not the same so my first pick is a 1992 honda i don't even pronounce this yeah that was my second pick i knew you'd pick it <laughs> i knew you'd pick it i this. knew you i i don't like it but i knew you'd pick it uh, well how do you say that acti A-C-T-Y, Acti JDM Van. This thing is... uh, It's so cool. It is so cool. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Um, So what do they call it? It's a K-car van. Um, This thing looks like it's about six feet long. It's got a three-cylinder engine. It's rear-wheel drive, gasoline-powered. It's a manual. Um, Imported right from Japan. It's right-hand drive. It's got 35,000 miles on it. It has a three-cylinder, 660cc engine with a five-speed manual transmission. Um, guy says this is Colorado Springs. Pulls around fine at the altitude and get up to 60 miles per hour. Also gets 45 miles per gallon. Um, just looking at this thing, it's kind of this bluish gray with some dark blue uh, striping on the side. And um, it... You know, it's just tiny. He's got a, a Volkswagen Westphalia in the pictures, and looks like you could fit this thing inside the Westphalia. But um, yeah, it's it's micro. It's funky. Wouldn't want to be in a traffic accident in one of these. Um, it looks, you would surely die. It looks like it has the original Stowingo. Do you see that? Yeah, it does look like it has something like that. The, it looks like. So it's a four-seater, and it, it looks like the back flat. seats fold flat into the floor. So maybe Chrysler wasn't the first to have folding flat seats. But it's funky, and it's cool. And that's my Craigslist pick, pick of, of the week. week. I'll so, do my second one as a runner-up. So my second one actually isn't on Craigslist anymore, so I'm going to go to my my first one. Okay. But I'll tell you what my second one was, and I really picked it just to get Isaac's goat. <laughs> But it oh was boy. a like 2001 Mazda Miata. What? But it had the whole body cut off in a roll cage welded to it in a big old turbo. I really thought it was cool. It was everything a Miata should it was be. A Miata, uh, Miata engine. It was a turbo Miata engine. That's cool. I I might consider that. It was everything a Miata should be without looking like a hairstylist. Be nice to me, out of Paul. So I, that was my first pick. But the second one here, I'll post the the, the link in the uh, the thing so you can open it up. Um, 
to preface this, we don't show each other until we literally right do, now. Right now. So that's so, that way we can't a so, Subaru Leon. Oh, so my second one, cool. the nineteen seventy six Subaru Leon fourteen hundred DL four by four. Oh, this thing is cool. It's listed at five grand. It's this awesome Subaru seventies wagon. Drive. It's yellow. It's yellow. It's piss yellow. <laughs> this is probably bright yellow when it was new. My favorite thing about it is the spare tire is mounted is. under the hood on top of the engine. Yeah, Subarus were known for that back then. I the feel day. like that's gonna dry rot the crap out of it. They did. But it said it was an eighty-two year old dude's daily driver until it <clears throat> until recently when he decided it was too hard to get in and out of. But then he says he's 6'5", and he fits fine, so I don't know what that means. CV joints are starting to leak. <laughs> CV, it's got a four-speed true shift on the floor, whatever that means. The two-wheel drive is in the front wheels, and then four-wheel drive gets you the backs. But it's pretty clean, and it's pretty... It, let's look under the hood. It has, to, it has two giant aftermarket horns. <laughs> this thing is freaking sweet! It's totally old manned out. Yeah, it's got a. It says it has one hundred and twenty six thousand miles on it, but the base on the fact that he bought it new, and uh, it's nineteen seventy six, and it was his daily driver. I have to believe that that speedometer's rolled over more than once. That tack. You never know. I mean, I'm not calling this guy a liar, but I mean, if he just drove around town all day, I guess. But since nineteen seventy six, some people don't drive a lot. My grandma puts like two thousand miles on her car a year. I guess. And it's got the another cool thing is it has the uh, uh, um, the reservoir the bag for the uh, rear washer fluid for the rear washer fluid just hanging out in the trunk. My Asuzu Trooper had that so, in the back. I really dig this thing. It's kind of cool. My dad's gonna think I'm dumb. <laughs> I think it's sweet. I think it's freaking this awesome. This was Subaru's forte into modern day Subaru. So uh, I will say, Colorado Springs, Colorado has one of the better Craigslist I've looked we at. We definitely are using this. For another episode for finding a Craigslist yeah. guy. Yeah, you have to send us more questions, Donovan, so we can yeah. look and use your <laughs> Craigslist again. So can I, I do my runner up? Sure, do your runner up. So 1976 Chevy Vega. It's original. It's a Vega though. It's a I know, but this is bone stock Vega, and it looks like you could drive this across town. It has the original aluminum four block four cylinder. Those motors were known to just blow up you know with twenty thousand miles <laughs> that's on a them. great choice this one's known to blow up but it doesn't say how many miles it says notch back it says all original it's a manual it's got these sweet it's got a red interior but the bucket seats are blue plaid that say chevy vega on them it's kind of cool um well, it's bright light. red 2800 bucks i just liked it because you don't see vegas like this fuck Barn find yard art is the title. <laughs> barn find no. yard art. 1977 Chevy Vega Survivor Rat Rod Barn Find Yard Art. It's not a rat rod. It's not yard art. I would put it in my yard as art, but I'm going to put the kibosh on this because we're running out of time. Okay. So in closing, follow us on social media. We are Shifting Gears Podcast on Instagram. S-H-I-F. Apostrophe. No, no. no. <laughs> I got it wrong. It's just shifting. Shift just in. like the name, except take the apostrophe out for Instagram and Facebook. 
Oh, Facebook has the apostrophe in it. Crap, yeah. this is too confusing, this guys. This is too confusing. <laughs> Our names really was a poor choice. <laughs> we should have done the whole shifting, but whatever. We're too late now. We We're got stickers. We're too late now. We got stickers. <laughs> so um, send us your questions via Facebook, Instagram, or email. Um, our, all those will be in the description below. Yep. But Please subscribe to our podcast. Like, subscribe. Subscribe and like on whatever platform you use we're on all of them the more viewers and popular we can get the more stuff we'll be able to do so yep submit even though we're world famous now we still need your help we still need your help leave us a review we love feedback want to know if you like to see us change something and do something different or if you want a different if you like even for like cool tools if you have a tool you want us to check out or whatever let us know and we'll maybe look at it so uh i think that's all i got that's all i got Well, thanks for listening, guys, Uh, if you made it this far. And uh, keep shifting gears and have a great rest of your day. Have a great night.